0: Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow, is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I'm so excited to be here today. And this is it. I mean, the first episode of the Fire Time Podcast, the podcast that is by the hearth industry and for the hearth industry. I, I'm so excited that you're here. So my name is Tim Reed, and I'm from Portland, Oregon. I work for a company called Fireside Home Solutions, where I lead uh, sales teams in five different showrooms. I've been doing this for a little over a decade in this industry, started out as an installer, moved through some service work into a sales position, and, and now I'm in a leadership role. And this podcast idea has been on my heart for a while. It's just a place to come and share best practices and some successes that that people and businesses are having. Uh, in this industry, uh, we can be really tight-fisted with our success. And I'm really of the opinion that in a high tide, all the ships rise. And our industry needs a high tide. So this podcast is going to be um, covering a wide range of topics. We're going to be talking about everything from like web development to social media uh, to sales and marketing practices we're going to talk about a lot of different things and, and speak with everyone from presidents of companies to CEOs VPs even all the way down to just people in sales roles that are just absolutely crushing it and so the goal of this is to be kind of a comprehensive look at what are the best people in our industry doing and how can we learn from them is I think about it for me, I came into this industry when I was about 18, and I didn't think I'd be, you know, selling fireplaces 14 years later, but the reality is this industry has like, it's given me something that I was never, I never thought I'd find it here, and this industry is just amazing, I think about the people that have poured into me, like my father-in-law who first hired me to be an installer, and and other people along the way that have, have given me a chance, and you know, I have to thank the industry for for being here and for for believing in, in someone like me. So the hope is that is that this can start to give back and inspire other people because this industry is awesome. And you know, we just we need a place to share uh, the successes uh, that we're having so that we can all be better. Anyway, with uh, today's inaugural episode, I am joined by Tim Rethlake from Hearth and Home Technologies, and I'm telling you, if you have not heard of this guy. He is amazing. I mean, he's a mentor, he's a friend, but like, this guy, is he is legit. And so we are going to get into all things sales-related. So if you want to grow in sales, if you want to learn how to lead your team, this episode is going to be something that you need to listen to and share with somebody. Um, at the end of it, we'll circle back and, and give you some more practical things. But for now, here's my interview with Tim Rethlake. Joining me from St. Paul, Minnesota... This is the VP of Sales Enablement at Hearth and Home Technologies. He's the most thoughtful salesperson I've ever met in my life, and to call him a guru is an understatement. I'm pleased to call him a friend and a mentor. I am joined by Tim Rethlake.
1: Tim, good morning. Great to be with you. And that's, uh, that, that's an introduction that's going to be a little tough to live up to here, but we'll, uh, we'll give it a shot.
0: <laughs> we got to start it out right, don't we? Now, Tim, for those people listening who aren't familiar with you, how did you end up where you are today?
1: In the in the romance and entertainment business, you mean? How did I how did I get into this thing? Um, I'm in this business because of uh, dirty beefeater martinis up, stirred not shaken. That was uh, that was the favorite drink of Joe O'Brien, who was the national sales manager for Majestic, and he would bring customers into the bar was, where I was working, and that was his favorite drink. And when I saw him come through the door, I always made it and had it ready for him and, uh, Joe, Joe was a practitioner that, uh, sales is performance art. And he always appreciated that. It made him look good in front of his customers. And eventually just getting to know him, he said, you need to be selling fireplaces. And that was, I was 24 and, uh, next month I'll turn 64. So that my Minnesota math tells me that's 40 years in this business.
0: <laughs> wow. it's crazy. So straight from a tenant bar to selling fireplaces.
1: It, it is. And, uh, that 40-year mark, uh, you, you, you and I have talked about this before, Tim, but that's, uh, that's something that I fight because the longer you've done something, the more thick-headed you get about how things should be, and, and it's hard to be open to, uh, to change and, and embrace change.
0: Yeah, I mean, with what you got going, but there's been a lot of change, and we've talked about that. I mean, we were just saying that in this industry, you got to leave in a body bag, Right.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty, pretty much. I, I don't know what there is about this industry, and and uh, but it's people people seem to change uniforms occasionally, but they always still play the same game.
0: <laughs> yeah. So forty years in the game, and how many jobs have you had at HHT?
1: Oh man, now you're uh, the the, um, the 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 first uh, twenty years of my career were at Majestic, and those were all basically in in. Um, uh, quota carrying sales roles. So different sales functions. My last role there was VP of marketing for the Majestic brand. And then in 97, I moved from Majestic over to Hearth and Home Technologies. So in the last 20 years, I think, um, I was looking at them the other day, I think I've had 13 roles. And uh, that says something about HHT is that uh, they don't let you sit very long in one position, and they're not afraid to mix things up. For example, we have Uh, We have a young man uh, that's running HR uh, for us down in our largest plant in Lake City who came into HR from a pure manufacturing background. So HHT is not afraid to stretch people and uh, get them out of their comfort zone and switch their jobs up pretty often. And it keeps things fresh, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, didn't uh, wasn't VP Burger an accountant that came up through like one of those same channels too and now he's the president of the company?
1: V- yeah, yeah, he's uh, we well, always kidding I said you know you you've got a lot of personality no one would ever suspect that you're a CPA. Um, but he did come from an accounting background and came from distribution. Uh, and then as, as you just said, is now, uh, now president of, of all of HHT. So, uh, a, quite a varied background and business experience, but I think it's, it's served. And, and many, if you look at our leadership team, many of them have had, um, various paths that lead to where they are today. And I think it's, that's what gives us some diversity of thought, uh, with that leadership team.
0: Yeah. I'd imagine for you, like, that's got to be so empowering to know that you're working for a company that's looking at you and saying, where can we deploy you to use your strengths?
1: Yeah, and, and that's super important now because if, you know, anyone who happens to be listening to this that is a business owner um, realizes how hard it is to find talent and keep talent. And something that, that um, good employees want is that they don't want to come in and do the same job every day for years on end. And, um, so if you can give them some variety and give them some challenges, I think that helps with your retention of, of talent today.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, I haven't been doing this for forever, but I've been in it for a while. And it just seems like the speed at which people are wanting fresh challenges, is. Just changing and getting faster—is that fair? Uh,
1: I I think that's very fair. You know, the 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 consistent theme in all my years in this business has been change. But I think the velocity of change, and to use your word, speed, um, the velocity of change is almost blinding. I don't know if that's a function that I'm I'm getting old and speed is getting faster, or both. Um, But uh, certain things, um, you know, recent changes—the the consumer having basic total transparency about everything about our business, whether that be, uh, you know, if you're a distributor or a dealer, uh, consumers can now see what your service level is based on online reviews. Uh, They can see what the reviews are of the products that we manufacture at HHT. So the consumers having total transparency and driving that bus, I think, has been one change that has influenced every aspect of our industry, whether retail channel or new construction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's different than how it used to be, right? I mean, it used to be that you had all the power. You had the keys. And the tables have turned now, and we don't have the power anymore. Isn't that right?
1: Uh, we, we do not, and it's not even a level playing field anymore. You know, a lot of times, and, and if you're a retail salesperson, you've probably experienced uh, a consumer walking in that has more product knowledge than you do about the specific product they're interested in. Because as a salesperson, you're trying to keep some knowledge about every product that's available out there. Uh, certainly, you try and keep knowledgeable about what you have on display on your floor. But this consumer, may she may have sat for multiple hours just f- honing in on that one insert or that one fireplace that she has her heart set on. And she's looked at that thing 16 different ways. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's no longer the salesperson having the power of, the, of, of information and education. It's, it's that consumer who is, is uh, actually driving the conversation. And the salesperson now is they no longer have to give information. They have to either confirm that that consumer is on the right solution or um, a, a new, kind of a new step to the selling process today is unselling. You know, you may you may discover uh, that that consumer actually, when they start telling you their story, um, you may find out that the solution that she has her heart set on is not the best solution. And now we have to go into this phase called unselling so you can get her onto the right track. So it's, it's influenced a lot of, of the way we interact with consumers today.
0: Yeah, that's the truth. I was thinking. I was speaking at a conference, like I think a week and a half or so ago, and we were talking about this. And I was saying, like, I think the educated consumer is like the best thing in the world. And a lot of people were down on it. They don't like that. But I mean, don't you think the educated consumer is like one of the best things that could have ever happened to us?
1: I've uh, I've always said that if if you have um, the, the the best solution and the best products and service. That an educated customer is your best friend, and if if you um, if you're in a situation that you're not the service or the product leader in your market, that's when customer education can come back to bite you. So. Um, You know, first things first, let's make sure that the the products that you're selling in your business are the best products that are out there by reputable manufacturers who stick behind them. Let's make sure that you've invested in professional people in service technicians and installers, and you've invested in training them. If you got the best solution, um, I think educated customers, to your point, are easier to sell than not.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because if you think about it, like, I mean, we sell fireplaces. People don't buy these very often, and so to have someone that comes in and thinks that this is already a good idea for their home—it's just a matter of fine-tuning the right selection—is way better than like starting from scratch with someone that has no clue what you offered. You have to convince them it's a good idea. It's so much better to start with a leg up.
1: It, it is, and it's the—you know—the the point you're bringing up is interesting because they're coming in. Um, they're not coming in for a fireplace or an insert. They're, they're coming in for a feeling they want in their home, right. And, and I love the, the tagline you have in, in your particular business about no, no one feels it no one feels safe in a cold home. Is, yeah. that, is that the way yeah. it goes?
0: No one's comfortable in a cold home. No
1: one's comfortable in a cold home. And, and so they're coming in for comfort, for warmth. Um, I always remind salespeople when I have the opportunity to be working with them or training them, um, you're selling a service and a product that is with customers in their magic moments and their tragic moments. You know, we, we kind of jokingly say when they're, when they're making their family, sometimes that happens in front of our product. Uh, and when they're mourning the loss of someone in their family, they seek comfort in front of our product. So uh, don't get we, – we, going back to this education and who knows what – um, salespeople sometimes get all hung up in the technology, right? In the BTUs and is it, is it tempered glass or ceramic? You know what? Who cares? The, the consumer's not at that. That's not what she's interested in. She's interested in what's the look that I'm, that I'm going for and can give me the comfort level that I'm going for in the budget that I think is fair.
0: Yeah. I wish I could take that last 10 seconds and just like play it and repeat because I fight it. I mean- we're btu heads right like we love technology we love specs that's what we've all been brought up on but i think in the coming years like the the transition point in our industry is that we have to start selling to the soft emotional part of the sale because that's where the value is that we bring to the table. The value is not in our BTUs.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not at all. And, and, you know, I jokingly say that, we, you know, I'm in, I I tell people I'm in the romance and entertainment business, but it's it's not a joke. It's, it's to get their attention. And every time I say that, people kind of roll their eyes. And then when they think about it for a minute, they almost always come back with a story of, you know, their childhood being at grandpa's cabin around a campfire. Or they propose to their their wife, or their their spouse at the, their their fiance at the time in front of a fireplace. Everybody has a romantic connection with friends and family, people they love around our product. And to not play that to your advantage uh, as a salesperson and play on those emotional heartstrings is super stupid in my book.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds really stupid when you put it that way. Yeah, yeah, because that's what people want. I mean. They're the hero of their own story. They've got dreams and aspirations, and what we sell is a is a means to an end. I mean, yeah, they're getting a fireplace from us, and that's great. But you know, they want to make memories with the people that they love, and this is just something to help them do that.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it, they they will care about BTUs if if you sell them something that, that gets too hot too fast, and all of a sudden now they can't use it. So um, to, say, to say that there's no technology or, or no technical knowledge, I don't want to leave that impression, um, but you need to be able to um, have the patience to ask good questions, hear the customer's story, understand what what it is they're trying to do, and ask those lifestyle questions. So, you know, do you entertain a lot at home? Well, if you do, we probably should be looking at something that gives you variable heat output because some of these things get pretty hot. So, yeah, lead with emotion, and but then let the technology come into play afterwards to make sure you're crafting the right solution for them.
0: Yeah, I, I like that nuance. That's really good. Well, Tim, you're the VP of sales enablement, which... I don't know if that position exists at any other company. And and you're the master teacher. You also have more like little phrases than anyone else I've ever met. So I want to hit some of these classic Rethlick phrases and and share them with our audience. Is that cool?
1: That's that's fair. Let's let's I'm I'm waiting to see which ones you've picked.
0: Okay. So the first one here, I mean full disclosure, I totally ripped you off for the tagline of this show because it's one of my favorites, but it's slow is fast. And every time I say this, my team is like, have you been talking to Lake again? Yeah. <laughs> so, so talk to us, Tim. Why is slow is fast so important to understand?
1: Uh, that, that one is foundational to uh, all interactions, whether it's a sales interaction, whether it's an interaction with your partner or with your children. Um, too many times, uh, Tim, we try and be uh, efficient in communicating with people. And efficiency sometimes is great, but often it leads to ineffective. And what I mean by slow is fast is, is take the time up front to be patient, to hear uh, the story of the person you're talking to, uh, whether it's a customer on your showroom floor, whether it's a builder or an architect, whether it's, you know, sitting down with your, your partner or just listening to your kids, um, slow down, shut the hell up ask some questions, uh, understand what it is there. You know, Stephen Covey has a great line that I, that I've loved. He said, listening to someone is to give them the emotional equivalent of oxygen of letting them breathe. And if you listen to that customer first, it takes a little bit longer, right? Um, but if you listen and understand that's that story, you're committing that time, you're slowing down to listen to that, but now, when it's time to present a solution based on what you heard, that solution resonates with that customer because it's based on what they said. And so that's where fast comes in the back end. So slow down in the front end to understand. Seek first to understand. And then you can make it up on the back end because your solution is more on point.
0: I love it. And and I think, it, I think that's really transformational, again, whether it's with like, loved ones, or a spouse, or family, or friends, or your team members that you work with. But it's hard. I mean, you know, for people like me that are driven, it's it's difficult because I lead, you know, multiple sales teams. I've got goals. I've got aspirations. I've got things I want to do. It is the hardest thing in the world to slow down and make the time investment to set that firm foundation. But I'll tell you, when you do it on the back end, you can run really, really fast, but it all crumbles if you don't make that initial foundation really robust. But I'll tell you, it's the hardest thing in the world.
1: It, it is, and, and it's extremely challenging, I think, for anyone who's in a retail sales role in our industry because when consumers come in you've done this for a few years consumers come in they start telling you their story and stories are very similar right i've, I've got this old wood burning fireplace we hate it uh, i hear these gas things are efficient and then once you start you almost know what the end of that story is going to be and so when it's uh, the third saturday in october and there's only two salespeople on the floor and there's seven customers all tapping their feet it's very easy to want to go be efficient and say, okay, yeah, no, I totally understand what you're getting. And you cut their story off and now you go into sell mode. Um, you, you've, you've totally taken away their their connection to their story and basically said, yeah, okay, I, I know exactly what you mean. As a matter of fact, I know your neighborhood. I know what fireplace is in that house. Let's walk over here. Here's the unit you're going to want. And then you you take over the story. It's no longer theirs. And now, you've you've gone from slow as fast to fast as slow
0: yeah so if I'm hearing you right you're basically saying that if, if you're in a situation where you want to go deep you have to commit to that and follow through on it so, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a job, whatever it is, you need that initial foundation to be laid. So, if you're talking with a customer in the showroom, before you just start yakking about your product, you gotta listen, you gotta ask questions, you gotta make sure that they're educated and it's fine tuned so that on the back end you can run. I, almost like if you're training a new sales rep and you have to stick with that initial training and invest and invest and invest in them probably longer than you think and to the point where it's frustrating so that on the back end they can run. But if you're not going to make that initial investment in them, you don't have the foundation, you're done. You're going to pay for it on the back end. Is that right?
1: says easy, does hard.
0: <laughs> well, you're reading my mind. That was literally the next Rethlake phrase that I wanted to talk about. Says easy, does hard. Speak to that.
1: Um, just, it, it, you You described it well when you just uh, gave that last scenario. There, there are so many things in life that uh, we, uh, you know, c- common sense is not always common practice, right? And so there's so many things that um, that we hear and see and we go, yeah, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. And, and when, you're, when you're talking through it, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy. Everybody agrees with that. that but, but then when it comes time to actually do it and to have that discipline, that personal discipline of patience, of listening, of seeking first to understand, um, in, in, in this world where we're all going 108 miles an hour with our hair on fire, um, it's, it's hard to do. And it takes, it takes uh, self-awareness, which a lot of people don't have in the moment. Uh, many times self-awareness is in part of a, an autopsy uh, review on, you know, why did that relationship go south? You know, why did my kid leave the house? Why did Why did I get divorce papers without ever seeing it coming? You know, so it's that after the fact thing when you're looking back that you get self-awareness. What's hard is to have self-awareness in the moment and be able to be proactive in that moment.
0: I think you're onto something with that, Tim, because in our culture today, I mean, we've got all the podcasts and self-help books and articles in the world. I mean, it's not hard to find this information, you know, and we all know it. It says easy, but it's hard to do. Like, you know, if I worked out, I would lose weight. If I invested 15% of my money into retirement, I could retire comfortably someday. You know, but it, it's hard to execute. And I think that's what it comes down to is the difference is the execution.
1: Right, right. And there's, um, you know, I forget where I first read this, but uh, it stuck with me for years. There, there are, There are two kinds of pain in life, and you're going to have to endure one of them. And it's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. So take your choice.
0: I like it. and and that goes into what Covey talks about. I know you're a big Covey guy, but habit number one of being a highly effective person is be proactive. Right. And that's all this is. Yeah.
1: It's, um, there, there's a lot, uh, there's two people that have influenced, uh, my, my life personally and my career professionally. Uh, one was Zig Ziglar, who, who is, uh, uh, maybe the consummate sales trainer of, of all time. For anyone who's listening to this, it's never heard of him. It's certainly worth a Google search and and uh, a listen of what of, a watch of some of his YouTube uh, videos. Um, but I saw him live when I was 24, first year in sales, and it changed the trajectory, trajectory of me uh, uh, professionally. And then the person that changed my trajectory uh, personally was Stephen Covey. And uh, so, one of the blessings that I've had is to be able, in at HHT, to to be uh, licensed to facilitate some of his programs. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is is the um, that that's the flagship. Uh, he that book is I think twenty seven years old now, something like that. Um, but your your point about that first habit it's, uh, is be proactive. If you don't feel that you can control your future and, and proactively lean in, the other six habits don't matter. So the order in which Stephen put these is extremely important, and each of the habits have a verb in them, right? So be proactive, and it's that proactive mindset that really triggers everything that follows it.
0: I like it. Well, Tim, I got one more phrase for you. And this is something I've heard you say is the key to sales. If you can understand this phrase, you can sell. And here it is. I may not be much, but I am all I like to talk about. <laughs> Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that's my, uh, that's my buddy Tim Murray uh, back in the Twin Cities. And uh, I, I heard him say that one time. He, he said, I may not be much, but I am all I like to talk about. And, and if you can understand the psychology of that, that we all, Uh, are the star of our own storyline. And so too many times uh, salespeople make the story about us and not about the customer. And we are not the hero here, right? Customers don't want to come in and be bombarded with, uh, we're the oldest in the market. You know, we've we've got four stores, we've got 62 burning displays, seven brands, uh, the best service. They don't want to hear that story right? We steal, we steal their story when we do that. So the, the, the key is to make the customer the hero in, in the story. And instead of saying, we can do this for you, it's a, it's a nuanced word switch to, you know, Tim, what if you could, right? What if you could turn that cold wood-burning fireplace into a real, place of beauty and warmth and what if you could do that within your budget and what if you could do that in the next two weeks? Is that something you would like to talk more about? And it's you phrasing, it's all about you, it's not about us. And that is such a hard switch psychologically for salespeople to make. And you know, we're we're not the knight up on the the charging steed. We're the page that's standing to the side handing up the lance and the shield so the customer can go be the hero. And so Um, That Tim Murray line is always not far from the back of my head. I, I may not be much, but I am all I like to talk about.
0: Yeah, and something that you hit on back there that was awesome is that, you know, customers are only coming in to see us because they have a problem. So therefore, the only value we can give them is in helping solve that problem. Because the reality is, you know, customers don't wake up in the morning just dying to buy our product, just thinking, oh, man, how can I go make these guys some money? You know, what they're thinking about is, my house is cold and I want it to be warm. Or, man, this stupid thing's been broken for five years and my wife is on my case. I guess I should finally go replace this thing. And so we got to be really careful when we're talking with customers to make sure that we only talk about our business as it relates to solving the customer's problem. And if what we're telling them about us doesn't directly correspond to solving their problem, we should probably save those stories for someone else because our customers just don't care.
1: Yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. And, and with our uh, industry in, in the hearth business, you know, I've, I've said a fireplace is a little bit like a wedding dress. As a consumer, you're going to buy one, maybe two in your lifetime. It's not something you do every five or six years, right? And so consumers don't have the familiarity with our category or our products that they do, you know, kitchen appliances or something that they interact with every day. And, and so be, be, because of that, um, they 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 come in and, and it used to be they came in just full of questions. Now they come in with questions and answers because they're they're researching and, and that's what drives. Uh, consumer consumers don't spend a lot of time online researching our products because they want to. Nobody has extra time. They're doing it because they feel they have to because they don't know anything about our category, and so that sort of reinforces everything again about be quiet you know what one of the shortest sales trainings ever known to man is three words long shut up and sell Now, there may be four words i don't know if shut up is, is that
0: minnesota is, math it,
1: yeah it's it's it, i don't know if shut up is hyphenated or not but but shut up and sell um and and because customers aren't they don't buy a hearth product that often in their life it's super important to just listen to their story and then craft a solution that makes sense
0: yeah, I, I can't agree with that anymore. And I was thinking about it like literally last week, I was, I was in a, a new market. And every time I, I go to a new place, I always try to you know, check out different stores and see what they're doing just to learn and get better. And I went to, I mean, a major, major retailer in this market. When you look at their, their marketing, their locations, I mean, they're one of the big players. And I was just dumbfounded at how bad the experience was. And I mean, I went in looking for a fireplace. I got asked one question. Do you have an open fireplace or a built-in? And that was it. And 30 minutes later, I was getting a quote on a fireplace that I didn't think looked good and I didn't want because they never asked me any questions about what was important to me. They just steamrolled me with their information. And how often do we do that to people where we just, it's all about us and our agenda and it'd serve us well to think about that phrase. I may not be much, but I am all I like to talk about.
1: Right, right. And it's... Um... You know, something that, that I've heard you and seen you teach with your team that I love is is this whole, uh, you know, we operate at, at a 10 and consumers operate at a 2, and we think if we dumb it down to a 5 or 6, we're okay and we're still disconnected. So go back to your question right there that they asked, do you have an open fireplace or a built-in? From a consumer's point of view, I don't even know how to answer that, right? I don't know. what What is, what's the difference? Right. So so being able to, to add, and and that's one of the keys to to successful selling also is spend as much time crafting smart questions as you do crafting your sales presentation portion of it.
0: Yeah, and that comes from Leela Fever. And basically the idea is that we're experts. We operate at a nine or a ten. When we try to make it simple, maybe we can get it down to a six or a seven. But the reality is that customers buy at a one or a two, and it's the companies that can speak at a one or a two, the language of their customers, that are going to win.
1: Right, right. It you know the 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 common uh, frustration, that, and and you brought up BTUs, right? British thermal units. And and whenever I'm I'm with uh, hearth professionals, I always say, How, all right, we're we're cone of silence here nobody no no information leaves the room how many of you actually say btu in front of customers and you know almost hands go up and so i go what is that british thermal unit okay what's that well it's a measurement of heat okay what's that and there'll be one rocket scientist in the back that'll go well it's the amount of energy required to raise one pound of water one degree fahrenheit at sea level and i go great is that the way you talk to your friends Right. Because you want to talk to your customers like you're talking to your friends and, you know, we'll get uh, maybe there'll be a dealer there who goes, well, we keep a box of wooden kitchen matches and we strike one kitchen match. And when the sulfur burns off and there's just that steady uh, flame tip there, that's ABTU. And I said, OK, that's better right now. We're, it's better talking to a consumer. But that's still it, it's such a hard concept because some of these appliances, you know, if they're at 40,000 BTUs on high and 20,000 on low, does that still tell a consumer that that will 40,000 kitchen matches heat my room? Is it too much heat for my room? It's a really difficult concept. And to your point, you know, we think a kitchen match dumbs it down to a five. Customers are still buying it a two. And so that's when the story becomes so important about how old is their home? What Have they redone windows? How well insulated is it, right? And how much do you entertain at home? How important is the flame aesthetic versus the heat output? And slow down and just, just really dig deep into their story.
0: Yeah, that's the truth. And it seems so simple. I mean, like we know that we should ask these questions. We know it's the right thing to do. But you're right. It says easy, but it does hard. And what I'm thinking about now is this, is that, you know, I've had the privilege of traveling across this country and sitting at the same table as some of the top dealers around, and it is crazy how uh, rare it is for people to sell like this. So with that being said, if you're trying to train a new rep, whether it's on the builder side or the retail side, what's the learning curve to have a slowest fast mentality and really get them ready to go?
1: Um the, the good news is someone coming in fresh has a shorter learning curve than someone who's been in this business for 20 years and has 19 years of unlearning to do. Um, so someone brand new, um, I think because of the complexity of products, because of the complexity of building construction, whether it's new construction or remodeling, uh, I think best case you're probably looking at least at a year before, before someone can – you know, solo on their own through a complete day or two of transactions without having to call the, the, the 411 helpline somewhere.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it's easily a six-month to two-year learning curve. And it you know it can be so difficult because when you get nervous, you just you know, revert back to BTUs and framing specs and just whatever can fill your head and come out your mouth is what you say. Like you just have to regurgitate this information back on your customers. And, you know, it's tough. It's really, really difficult to shake that.
1: It, it's it's super hard. And and one of the things that makes that challenging is that the path to sales in our industry is many times as an installer or a service tech and then promoted to sales. And all of us, by nature, talk about what we're most comfortable with. And so if I'm comfortable with everything that an installer needs to know, which is framing dimensions, clearances, uh, rise-to-run ratios on venting, that's what I'm going to end up talking about. I'm going to talk about the hardware and not the emotion. And, and so those old habits, you know, it, it, is, it, is it great from a technical perspective that the salesperson knows those things? Sure. Um, does a salesperson have to be professionally, technically proficient? Sure, they do. Uh, but they shouldn't lead with that. That shouldn't be the default that they lead with.
0: I'm totally with you on that. And, you know, Tim, one of the things I love about you is that you're so big on practice. I mean, isn't that the only way to get better at this is to practice with your team?
1: Uh, it, it is. I would I would certainly rather see a sales team practice on each other than practice on customers. Um, so <laughs> and there's 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 a pretty good book that has a quote in it that says, you know, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And it, it if you own a business and you are not making your salespeople in your sales meetings get up on their feet and practice their craft, you're missing it. And many owners don't because, frankly, they're too they're too worried about being buddies with their salespeople instead of being their boss. And because salespeople, dis- overall, they dislike practice selling in front of their peers. No one likes doing it. I don't like doing it when we and when we there's times at HHT that that I have to get up and practice sell in front of our team. I don't like it. It puckers it puckers me up. Right? It does uh, because I know everybody's judging me. But if you think about, while well, they're judging me to make me better, which is hopefully what their intent is, uh, then, then the, the defensiveness goes down a little bit. But yeah, there there is nothing better than live fire practice training with your peer group a couple times a month at a minimum.
0: Absolutely, man. I mean, I'm convinced that like that is the highest impact change that anyone listening to this can make in their business. It'll yield an instant result. But I think to do it effectively as a leader, you got to jump in and not be afraid. You got to be the first person to to start selling to your team and let them critique you. <laughs> I'm thinking like my team, we, we have this uh, this like page that's got a bunch of checkboxes on it when we're doing sales practice of like, did they do this? Did they ask this question? My team loves critiquing me more than anything. But I think that wins you some credibility as a leader to say like, hey, I'm not above this. I'll step in. Like, I'll I'll take a swing at it. And the reality is like anyone that's ever speaking to a customer needs to be able to step up in front of their peers and sell to get feedback. Is this the only way to get better? And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a big sports guy. And so I, I have a friend that's an Eagles fan. And you think about the Eagles, like they won the Super Bowl this last year. But you know what? I bet that they probably had some practices during the week. They didn't just show up for games. And, you know, people can make fun of it. They can say, oh, it's stupid. It's not the same thing. And yeah, okay, it's not the same thing. And yeah, the people that are listening know the pitch. But you know what? It's the best thing that you're going to get outside of working with the customer. And it's worth digging into that. And if you think about it, would you rather have a situation where you crash and burn in front of your peers or where you crash and burn in front of your customer, you don't make commission, and you don't get to feed your family?
1: Right, right. And, and what you said is critically important as the, either the business owner or the sales leader is um, you need a, a strong ego not a big ego there's a difference um, well i could take, i could do a political example right now but might alienate half of our audience uh, if i did that but the difference between a strong ego and a big ego is, is a a strong ego is is someone that is for example, they're they're not afraid to let the customer be the hero in the story because they don't need to be, because my ego doesn't make me do that. If I have a big ego that's not strong, I need to be the hero. But if you as a business owner or sales leader have a strong ego that's not a not a big ego, you're not afraid to be vulnerable in front of your team and lead by example like you just did. And the thing I always encourage business or sales leaders is you you can't just tell your salespeople what to do. You have to show and tell. And so the ability to get up on your feet and say, "I practice what I preach." I'm never perfect, so I'm going to take a I'm I, I'm going to take my turn in the barrel too. Um, I tell you what, that that goes a long way on not just credibility in front of your team, but their loyalty and their respect, mutual respect for each other and for you.
0: Yeah, it's the truth. I mean, I'm convinced it'll make a difference with your teams if you start doing this. Well, you know, one thing I think about too, Tim, is that you know, so often when we make concerted efforts, when it comes to our sales, it's all on the front end, it's all about, you know, how we present and everything else, but you speak a lot to the back end of sales, what happens after the sale, the follow-up, the thank you note, and honestly, you're one of the most thoughtful people I've ever met in, you know, the five years or so that I've known you, you know, I've gotten thank you cards from you, I've seen you send things to customers, like, creative things, and that makes a big difference, you know, post-sale to follow up with someone. And I think that that, uh, that thoughtfulness and intentionality is something we're missing. So can you speak to uh, what we should be doing post-sale?
1: Yeah, it's um, it, it's again, another, another chapter out of the slowest fast book, um, because d- does it once you've completed a sale and that insert or that fireplace or that stove was installed and, and you know, some, sometimes I, I really believe that, that some businesses have a mindset that they don't want to hear from that customer again.
0: Yeah. Bore the windows up. We're not here anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everything's fine. Nothing to see over there, folks. Um, and, and that's a little crazy when you think about it that you've you've got a customer who trusted your business enough to let you in their home for a day or two. And then they're going to give you a few grand, uh, you know, credit card or a check for the honor of doing that. And then you don't want to hear from them again. That's in the super stupid category again. And so, again, it's slow as fast. Does it take time for a salesperson to write? And I'm old school on this. I love handwritten thank you notes. Um, You know, I get thank you emails from people and I read them and go, that's nice. And I delete them right away. I've got handwritten notes that will sit on my desk for two weeks, a month. There are some that are in a drawer that are years old because of what that person said and the way they said it. And so does it, it time-consuming for a salesperson to write that handwritten thank you note or to make that follow-up call a week later going, hey, you've had our product in your home for a week, just following up, do you have any questions, everything up to your expectations, how'd we do for you? And then once you get that feedback that, yeah, we, we, we love this thing, we just had some people over the other night to, to show it off, great, happy to hear that. Can I ask, did anybody say we should do something like this too? And then build on that trust that that customer already has and let them be, again, be the hero to their friends by introducing their friends to you so that their friends can be as happy with their home and as warm in their home as that customer is.
0: Yeah. And I don't think salespeople understand just how much this moves the needle. I mean, it makes a huge, huge difference. I mean, I'm thinking about for me, you're right. You know, if I get a a nice email, I'll look at it. I'll delete it and maybe file it away and you know never touch it again, but you know on my desk i I got thank you cards you know three or four of them are from you over the last number of years, and like those those mean something to people they they hold on to them and on that, that same line is finding unique ways to follow up. Like I'm thinking about a time right I had a customer I had to follow up with and so I literally <laughs> ordered a a pizza and sent it to him with a message spelled out in pepperoni. And let me tell you like I got to call back within 30 minutes and stuff like that is like it's funny. And and I don't think people understand that like follow up like that it moves the needle.
1: That's that's outstanding. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's exceptional. That that's there's um uh, a, a builder in the Pittsburgh market uh, who has a, a practice that I really like and it's when uh, they've just they have a walkthrough at, right at the end of the framing stage with their customers and so something that they do is they send uh, custom cupcakes to the place of business where the home buyer where their new home buyer works and if the husband and wife both have jobs they send a dozen to both places of work And so think about it. Your office, if you get a dozen of these big monster custom cupcakes, you know, nobody sits at their desk and eats 12 cupcakes. That's right. right. So what do you do? You start walking around the office going, hey, you want a cupcake? And then everybody goes, well, what's that? Well, that's from our builder. Oh, really? Who's your builder? Why'd they send you cupcakes? Do you like your builder? And I mean, for, I don't know, it probably costs them 15, 20 bucks a dozen to get those delivered. But you talk about that word of mouth and that referral and, and making uh, just like your pepperoni story, it's it's different. It it it's exceptional. It's unusual, right? I'm a big uh, a big fan of of Seth Godin's, and uh, you know you I'm sure you've probably read a lot of his things too. And, and one of his original books was Purple Cow, right? Nobody remarks about a cow unless it's purple. goes, holy cow! Did you see that? Did you see that purple cow? Yeah. And so when you can do something that's a little bit different and a little bit unusual. Uh, in today's day and age when it is so rare uh, I think you get extra mileage from it today when you do it
0: yeah I'm with you I mean we're moving so fast that to take time and do that it, it makes a difference it's another you know slow is fast kind of thing So, Tim, I want to shift gears here. So, you have uh, 40 years experience in this industry, which is awesome. Just like crazy, crazy wisdom and, and knowledge base. So, if you're speaking to someone, whether they're a salesperson, a business leader, but someone that's coming up through the ranks, that's looking at this saying, man, this guy's awesome, but... I don't have 40 years' experience to figure this out, so I want to put you on the spot here and ask you: What is the one book that someone needs to read to make a difference professionally? I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you.
1: Yeah you you led the you led the witness there a, a little bit on that, so yeah the I get asked that question often. I think it's the 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 stereotypical old guy question, right? Um, get, answer this question before you croak, kind of thing. It's uh, without a doubt, hands down, it's Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it, it, that people go, "Well, that's not a sales book," and I go, oh, "Yes, it is. It, it absolutely is, because it's, Stephen was very intentional. It's you know, it's not the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. It's the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I think say you're not a different kind of salesperson than you are person. And you're not a different kind of person at home than you are at work. You're that same person. And so often uh, as, as business owners or leaders of teams, we sometimes want to compartmentalize people and say, well, you know, I know you've got a lot of sandpaper in your relationships at home and things aren't going great. And, you know, you got a kid that's run away or giving you trouble or whatever. But when you're here, I need your head to be in the game. Well, it doesn't work that way. And so what the Seven Habits of Highly Effective does, People does is it gives uh, a, a map, uh, a course to chart for life balance. And that's something that everybody goes, yeah, I've heard of that. I'd like some. But it really does uh, get you thinking deeply about things like personal mission statements, not business mission statements, but a personal what's a true north there. It helps you identify what's important in your life from a prioritization standpoint and then helps you stay true to those um so from from just the ability to come at this from a strong foundation of character and competence um i i I, that is hands down the the classic book to to read and apply
0: Yeah. I'm with you there. And that's a, that's a great dovetail onto this because, uh, I want to ask you as we're rounding out here, you know, I think the last habit in the book is, uh, keep the saw sharp,
1: sharpen the saw, sharpen
0: the saw. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I mean, you've got like 40 years in this game. And so with that, you got to fight tunnel vision, like no one's business. So I want to know what is Tim Rethlake doing to keep the saw sharp,
1: uh, hanging around young dudes like you Uh, for one, uh, helps, it's, um, you know, Covey talks about four aspects of of sharpening the saw, and that's uh, physical, emotional, uh, spiritual, and then interpersonal, right, relationship sort of things. And so if you look at that on balance, uh, as, as I've gotten older, one thing that I've, I've tried to do is keep a, keep a physical regimen. You know, I grew up on a dairy farm in Indiana, so that means I've, I'm up at 5 a.m. no matter what time zone I'm in. That's just my body clock, so I'm, I'm just up and going. Um, so I find it uh, very beneficial to be on what I call the fat man machine, whether that's a treadmill or an elliptical or whatever, and that's a great time to do some multitasking as well. Um, you know, I've got a, a morning, my morning list, which is a morning prayer list that I, that I go through of people's intentions that I, that I want to hold, hold in my, uh, my mind. And when I start the day, I also then will have some podcasts that I listen to during that period. And I think podcasting is something, um, not just cause we happen to be on one, but I think it's something that a lot of people, salespeople, business owners, in our industry are overlooking. And it's a way that you can get information that is recent it's topical, it's helpful, it's in a format that's easy to share with your sales team and say, hey, I want you to, you guys are all driving around, I want you to pull up this, uh, this 30-minute podcast on your iPhone, and we're going to talk about it at the next sales meeting. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things, Tim, where they say, you know, technology is ruining our lives. There's a lot of cases I can make where technology is helping our lives and the ability to do, you know, TED Talks. I'm a big fan of TED Talks. I know you and I have talked about Simon Sinek uh, in the past and, and his impact. So it, it, there is just so much. My only frustration is you can't get to it all, right? So you have to have some way of, of uh, prioritizing and putting first things first, which is another, another one of the habits. Um, so it's it, a kind of a long answer to a short question there, but there's uh, – there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there to keep your saw sharp and, and to learn new things. Uh, I guess the key is just be open to it. And uh, my wife, Justine, is, uh, is very adept at occasionally just telling me, you know what, maybe you should just calm down for a second and assume you're wrong. And that kind of recenters me because often she's right and I am seeing it wrong. And so I got to back up and, and uh, re- reassess my my, my, uh, my choices in that moment.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Tim, we really appreciate you being on board here as the first guest. I mean, I can't you know I can't tell you, man, the knowledge bombs and the wisdom you bring are just awesome. So thank you. It's going to make a difference.
1: It's been fun, Tim. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate being your your inaugural guest here as you kick this off. And and good luck with uh, with your podcast.
0: You got it, man. See you later. So good, man, I love it. Every time I get a talk with that guy, I just come away with something new. And I hope that was valuable for you because there's gonna be a lot more where that came from. And here's the way that the rest of the podcast is gonna work. So I'm gonna be doing this in seasons. And right now, season one is gonna be 12 episodes. And these are guests that I've handpicked from all over the industry, and in all different companies, manufacturers, and businesses. But what they have in common is they are doing something unique that they're bringing to the table and it's gonna be really cool. But the way that we're gonna do this is we'll record season one, we'll release it weekly, and hey, if it resonates, and if people start asking for more, if there's an audience here, uh, we're gonna go out and do season two. We'll get more guests, we'll bring you even more valuable content, and if there's not much of a response to it, hey, it's gonna be a cool project. 12 episodes that you can use to grow yourself or to share with your team and, and help grow them as well um, but the key is to let me know if this resonates with you and the best way to do that is to go to the website itsfiretime.com and let me know, there's all kinds of resources there as well, there's blog posts, there's videos there's keynotes that are all intended to help us get better now you can also find me on Instagram the handle over there is Fireside Tim, and we can start the dialogue of uh, what we need to be doing to be better in our industry now lastly if there's someone that i need as a a guest that is not lined up in these seasons send me an email the email address is tim at itsfiretime.com now the last part here is this if you're listening to this episode and you're saying hey this is great but it's only 45 minutes it's not going to move the needle in my company in that amount of time well i wrote an ebook that's called the roadmap to success it's five scalable and repeatable steps to grow your hearth business the way that i've been able to grow the businesses i've been a part of it's a free download you can go to the website it's firetime.com roadmap and download the book for free and start executing today to move the needle in your company well this has been an awesome episode i'm so glad that you're still here so thank you for coming on board and we'll see you next time